and welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And, and this, this is Ryan and Brian's Bible, Bible Bistro. A podcast. a podcast all about the Bible theology and things pertaining to the Christian faith. Sure. Yep, that's it. I mean, it is, in general. I don't say those exact words. What do you say? I don't know. You <laughs> asked me this last time, and I'm confused now. I'll have to go back and look what I've written. All right. But welcome back yeah. to the Bistro. Glad to be here. Yes, we're at Bistro East still. Yes. Four Maybe weeks in a row, Bistro yeah. East. It's been a long camp out here. <laughs> yes, 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 indeed. Some longer for others. Anyway, um, so yeah, we're back here. We're talking yeah. about, uh, we're going to jump into John today, which is yeah, kind of. we've not been in John for a while. I know. And that's kind of my home, that's kind of my wheelhouse. Yeah, he kind of, or we orbit around John the whole time. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. And you he sent me that funny meme the other day. Yeah, if. Well, I'll put it up online. Okay, because yeah, the the people, the, the golfer, and the one guy is very colorful and smoking a cigar, and the other guy is like really kind of buttoned up, and yeah, John, John, John it's John Daly. Oh, is it? Oh, is that John Daly? <laughs> yes, he's the, looking old, man. <laughs> you look like a spring chicken. It's John Daly, and is that is that who's the other person? Is that I don't know. Uh, it's the back of a person. I don't care okay. who it is. All right, but John Daly, golfer, okay. kind of a wild man. Apparently, He's the Gospel of John. The other ones are the Synoptic, <laughs> synoptic Gospels. Gospels. And those guys are all buttoned up straight. Anyway, we'll share that meme. Yeah, it might funny. make sense for you or not. But anyway, yeah. we're back, going back into John. But before we do that, yeah, if you're an avid listener of the Bible Bistro, we would encourage you to like, subscribe, and share the podcast, yeah. Apple Podcast. Share Absolutely. with your, share with people that you know at church, wherever. If you're enjoying the content <laughs> and you've been with us for a while, also invite you to join us on Patreon. Which sure. Is a way that you can help uh, financially support the work right. that we're doing. And if you do that, uh, after three months of support, you can get a wonderful coffee mug. Yes. Wonderful. It'll make your coffee taste better. Or a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> or a t-shirt. Uh, but back to the coffee mug. Um, the coffee mug just makes the coffee just... Pop. <laughs> makes it pop. <laughs> exactly how I was going. I was going to go with like the aromas come out. Okay. You just jump to pop. It's going to make your coffee pop. So the Folgers, it's going to be pop. I don't mean literally pop. It's not like water into it, wine. Or it's like it's not pop rocks with a can of Coke. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so it's going to make your Folgers pop in the morning if you have a Bible Beach yeah. or coffee mug. So if you're enjoying the podcast, we invite you to join us on we Patreon. Should do a, we should do a, a Bible Bistro coffee blend. Oh my gosh. We should have somebody roast beans for the we coffee. We should buy some land in Nicaragua. <laughs> okay. Well, perfect now idea. Now you're talking crazy. <laughs> anyway, you can take your own blend and put it into the coffee mug. But yeah. if, if you... We said Folgers this one. Yeah. <laughs> We don't recommend Folgers. No, no one recommends Folgers. Uh, but if you're enjoying the podcast, we invite yeah. you to to join us on that. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd love for you to be a part of that. You can find a link for that on our website, thebiblebistro.com, yes. or you can look in the show notes on Apple Podcasts or wh- whoever has Google or Android devices. I don't know. Right. It's on there. But there's a description of the episode, and there's a link in there as and well. And like and like and uh, review if you like the so, if you give us if yeah. you want a five five star review five star review. <laughs> Of our bantering. Yes. Right. Uh, but if you have pop and coffee, you know, leave us a review. There you go. So, all right. Well, 
we're getting into it today. So yeah. we've had I'm I'm gonna say we've had some great episodes oh, the last. Okay. We've been recording some great. I I think they've been great. I don't know what everybody else thinks about Good. it. We had the last one was about baptism. And yeah, we took our time with that one. Uh, you know, we, yeah. we, we covered a lot of ground, but I think sure. it's an important topic. And so we're coming back now to something back to your wheelhouse. As you yeah. mentioned, we're gonna be in the in the the Gospel of John. So what are, what are we gonna be looking at today, Brian? John three is the story of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. Um, you know, some people think it has to do with baptism, since you just mentioned baptism, and and I don't necessarily. We'll we'll talk about a way to understand it that's connected to baptism, but I don't understand it that way. So, um, one of the things I'll say just in general, we've talked about the gospel. It's been a while. I mean, it's been a while since we talked about the gospel of John. Yeah, because we. I think you said like <clears throat> beating a dead horse, or we just keep talking about John. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't want it to be the only. Th- I don't want it this to be a, just a podcast about the gospel of John. But yeah. it is. It is kind of the area that I've spent the most time in. But it, interestingly, we've we've talked before about kind of some of the ways that John tells his story. Apparently, John Daly, uh, the way that John tells his story. Um, and, and one of the things we have is this series of encounters with Jesus and different people. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus encounters in chapter one, he encounters Andrew and this unnamed disciple who I believe is a beloved disciple. He encounters uh, Nathaniel. Uh, he encounters, um, he has a conversation with his, uh, his mother in chapter two. Um, you know, if we go on chapter four, he encounters this woman at the well. So one of the things, sometimes it's groups of people, sometimes it's individuals. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that the author of the gospel of John is trying to get across with these encounters is he's showing us different ways that people respond to Jesus. And, and in some ways we could even say he, he's showing us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. There's an ideal kind of way that to be a disciple. And there are other ways that, um, you know, mirror the way that people might respond to Jesus and to the message that he has and to the things that he's done. Nicodemus is an example of this. Uh, interesting thing about Nicodemus, well, well, I don't want to give away too much. We'll, we'll read the first two verses here and we'll learn a little bit more about who he is. But I think he represents that even among some of the Jewish leaders and, and, Frankly, within the Gospel of John, the Jewish leaders, or they're often just referred to, you might have in your translation even, it'll just say the Jews, the mm-hmm. but it, it seems to be the, the role that this group has within the Gospel of John seems like that they're talking about leadership within the Jews, uh, the Jewish people in this time, that um, they are often antagonistic toward Jesus. But I think what Nicodemus represents is even some among the leaders of the Jews uh, believed in him. Uh, I said <laughs> I said we only needed to look at John 3, but it just occurs to me, we, we see a reference to this all the way toward the end of the Gospel of John in John chapter 18. I'll read this really quick, and then we'll come back and let you read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Um, but in, in uh, uh, chapter 18, uh, we have... Uh, I said chapter 18. It's actually chapter 19. Uh, we have um, this one who who comes and takes the body of Jesus. G- Joseph of Arimathea is his name. So this is verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, here's how he's described. It says in verse 38, now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews, the Jewish leaders, probably in the way that's the way the NIV 2011 translates it anyway. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And then in verse 39, we get this guy we're going to talk about today mentioned again. Verse 39 says he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and they take the Jesus' body and they bury it in a new tomb. So, so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are two of these Jewish leaders 
leaders that were disciples of Jesus, but secretly. Now, <clears throat> in coming and asking for the body of Jesus, they're kind of outing uh, themselves. Outing themselves in a way. They're they're kind of you know bringing it to the fore that these are these are followers of him. They're asking to to do something with his body, and so you know to take it and, and be allowed to bury it. Uh, so they represent Nicodemus. I think represents a, a secret disciple of Jesus. Is the way we could say it. Someone who's afraid of. Um, his standing within the Jewish community, perhaps, or his standing as a, as a ruler, uh, and so he he's not ready to be public with his following of Jesus. But he comes to Jesus at night. So look at verses one and two, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about this, kind of yeah. break it down a little bit. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, "Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him." So it says. Jewish Ruling Council here in the in the NIV that you read, the 2011 NIV, literally here what it says here is simply he's a leader of the Jews, an archon uh, of, the, of the Jews, of the Hoyudaioi is, is what it says. And so he, he's a Pharisee. This is, this is talking about his approach to theology, we could say his approach to scripture. We've talked about Pharisees before, tend to have a strict... Um, uh, following of the law. They tended to be uh, interested in... Um, Kind of a how do I say this? A, the Jewish state they 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 were no fans of the Romans. They were not in cahoots with the Romans. Uh, very popular with the people, and so he was a Pharisee. He was a member. Uh, he was a ruler of the Jews. We would say, and and here's the interesting thing: he came to Jesus at night. And again, we've already said he was kind of a secret disciple. So this is probably indicating this. Um, we're not going to talk about this too much, but in chapter four. It's interesting when we lay the story of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and Jesus' story of uh, his encounter or the story of uh, the encounter with Jesus and the Samaritan woman side by side because in a lot of ways they serve to kind of as counterpoints for one another. And this is one of the literary um, uh tropes or what's the word I'm looking for? One of the literary um, devices. Uh, devices, thank you, that uh, that John is using here is he's contrasting these two accounts. So here's here's someone we wouldn't necessarily, a Samaritan woman, uh, kind of an outsider, kind of, kind of someone who's outside the circles. Here's a Jewish leader in, in terms of the community would be considered someone. An insider. Very central. He comes to Jesus at night. Jesus comes to the well and meets this woman in the middle of the day. And that's one of the contrasts. So he's here in darkness, right? Uh, and and uh, so that's one of the one of the kind of the features we see here. What's very interesting, though, notice what he calls Jesus. He calls him Rabbi. Mm, yeah, and. Rabbi is a pretty significant word because this indicates something. You know, when we talk about him being a disciple, the rabbi-disciple relationship is what we're really talking about. To call someone a rabbi is to recognize a, a, an authority. This isn't just saying you're you're a good teacher or anything like this. This is saying to a certain extent, I am placing myself in a relationship with you where I'm gonna I'm gonna be a follower. I'm mm-hmm. gonna be a disciple. It's a positional statement. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and it's pretty significant that this leader of the Jews does this. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's why we have this particular account. Um, Jesus, the word rabbi occurs eight times in the Gospel of John. The word raboni, which is a form of it, occurs one other time. So nine times. Out of those nine times, Jesus referred to as rabbi eight of those times, only once. And it's later in this chapter, um, we find the disciples of John the Baptist coming and asking him a question, mm, and they yeah. say rabbi. But other than that one account, all the other times that we have the word rabbi or raboni in uh, uh, rabbi, however you want to say it, in the 
in the uh, Gospel of John, it's all in reference to Jesus. That's one of his roles that he is. He is the one who's able to bring truth. He's the one uh, who is worthy of being followed. Um, and, and and again, this was a discipleship relationship was a close relationship. It wasn't just like we would say a teacher and student today. I've sometimes used, and this is a little closer. Sometimes used the idea of apprentice. Maybe carries more of the weight weight of it. But it's 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 an um, um, mentoring relationship however you want to think of this uh, so he calls him rabbi now one of the n- things that's noteworthy in this um in this passage and there's others in the gospel of john that's this way is that he uses the first person plural pronouns and 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 verb in order to refer to jesus so he says we know right mm. uh, so you say well just what well, you got a mouse in his pocket or what who's who's the we here <laughs> Um, and, and so some people take this to say that he's a, he's a representative character. Uh, Jesus, when he responds, says we as well. And so some people take this. Uh, th- there's a whole school of thought in relation to this. I don't agree with it. I'll go ahead and tell you this up front. Okay. But there's a whole school of thought from some people who think this may be that both Nicodemus and Jesus are standing for later communities. Uh, There's this whole Hmm. way of reading the Gospel of John that sees this not as historically related to the life of Jesus, but about a later history of of Christianity and particular groups of Christians and their response to the Jewish community. That's not how I understand this. I understand this about Nicodemus and Jesus. What I note in the Gospel of John, I've spent some time thinking and studying this, is words that have to do with testimony and knowledge and thinking. These kind of words in the Gospel of John are routinely, um, we find the first person plural used to refer to them. So he says, we know, words of knowing and testifying are, are usually in the first person plural. We, mm-hmm. we can talk about the reasons for that another time maybe. But anyway, he says, we know, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. So a teacher who has come from God. Again, another remarkable statement. We're understanding, you know, that was one of the questions about John the Baptist, right? And even Jesus uses this in some ways to right. co- start a controversy uh, when when they're questioning his authority later to do these kind of things. He says, well, you tell me about John. Is he, is he from God or, or not? You know, clearly the people, again, the Pharisees were popular with the, with the people. The people were followers of John the Baptist, mm-hmm. uh, and yet they had rejected him. And so it put them in a, a difficult position. Right. But here, Nathaniel saying, we believe that you're a teacher from God. And here's the reason, and I find this very interesting. I want you to think about this. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. For no one could perform the signs, say my eyes, the word here, signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, the only reason that signs is a, is a word that's used frequently in the Gospel of John to, to refer to the, they're not called miracles, they're called signs in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, some translations say miraculous signs, but the word is say my they And here's what I'll say, a sign points to something. Uh, it, it's, it's talking about a reality, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the significance that word significance has a sign in it too, right? It, it, that's the significance of that word, word sign. It's it's pointing towards something. At this point, here, this is the pop quiz portion of this. Oh. I know you always love these. <laughs> this is for all those that love pop quizzes that Brian gives me. <laughs> At this point in the Gospel of John, we're in the beginning of John chapter 3. Mm-hmm. You, you should know this text well enough by now. Mm-hmm. What signs have we seen? Well, uh, that's great. Um, well, he was in the temple. He was okay. in the temple previously, okay. water into wine. Which is called the first sign. 
Mm-hmm. This is the first sign. That's really the only sign. It's kind of a trick question. That's the only sign that we've seen narrated so far in the Gospel of John. And yet here he says, we've seen all these signs that you've done. This indicates to me a couple of things. One, I've said before, the Gospel of John is not necessarily chronological in order. The way that he has arranged these stories are more for effect right, in order mm-hmm. for us to understand things, truths about Jesus, than it is to say, oh, I want to tell you what happened today and then tomorrow and the next day. And that's not the way I think he arranged things. Um, and, and so, and especially when we get to the middle of chapter two, we've talked before, he says, after this, it's not the next day or the third right. day. Right, and it's the, the temple, that temple narrative when Jesus in the temple occurs much later I believe, than the other synoptics. I believe chronologically, yeah, it, it occurs at the end of Jesus' life. I don't think there – and we go back, there's another episode we talk about this. This so. is why the meme's so appropriate, you know. <laughs> that he that John does it differently. Yeah. John Daly does it differently. No. So and, – and by the way, I don't believe John Daly is the author of the Gospel of John, but um, – <laughs> so a little controversial there. Um, so – so here's my point is Nicodemus is saying you've done all these signs, even though those have not been narrated. Now, the other thing is this also suggests to me what what we see elsewhere, that John is written not for people who know nothing about Jesus. The, the Gospel of John was not written for people who'd never heard who Jesus is. Specifically, why John says that he wrote, uh, if you look at the very end of uh, chapter 19, he says, I've written these things so that you may believe. In other words, he wrote to engender faith and so that believing you may have life in his name. So not only would I say that this is to engender faith, but further, as I said with these encounters, he's trying to get us into a um, a relationship, a life-giving relationship with Jesus. So in other words, he wants the reader to become a disciple of Jesus. And so I think he, he gives us these different encounters to kind of show us what our options are. Here are the possible ways that you might respond to this, right? Okay. Here are the yeah, way yeah. that people who, who met with Jesus during his life, right? Responded. And, and so he's writing for people who, who had not had a life encounter with Jesus. This is written later, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's written for people to, to suggest to them, here's what it means to be a disciple. Here's the and, and even more, he puts himself as the beloved disciple in the narrative, I think, to say, here's what it means to be an ideal disciple. Here's what it looks like when you're really following Jesus the way you should. So anyway, he says, the reason that I've come to believe that you are... Um, you know, this one who's sent from God, that you're this teacher is mm-hmm. what he uses at this point, who's sent from God, is because no one could do the things you're doing, right? You're, these signs point to your identity. They point to your authority. Same thing Jesus says later when, when they're questioning him. He says, believe in the signs that I've done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and they testify to, to who he is. So um, from there then, Jesus goes on and and. I always say in verse three. Any questions so far about Nicodemus or what what's going on here? You think narratively? Uh, I don't know if anything new. I think that we know. I think the we piece is kind of you know I I had never thought of that okay. you know with the mouse in the pocket or five <laughs> or whoever's with him. But just uh, uh, and I think again going back to this, I think pointing out the signs and there's only been one sign beforehand, but to kind of yeah. reinforce how we should look at the Gospel of John here. Yeah, the way that he's arranged the material, not necessarily mm-hmm. chronological again. But but Jesus then, I find it interesting in verse 3. Uh, just, just read verse 3 for us, first of all. Yeah, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now what I often say here is Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus never asks. 
Okay. Right. So he comes at night and here's what he says. We know you're a teacher who's come from God. And then Jesus says, no one can uh, see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. If that was an answer, yeah. what would the question be? How am I saved? Okay. Or what must I do to inherit yeah. eternal life? Uh, there's a, a rich young ruler in the synoptics that asked Jesus that question, right? Mm-hmm. Something along those, those lines. What does it mean to enter the kingdom of God? And so Jesus answers, truly, truly, or very truly, I say to you, amen, amen is literally the Greek. It's it's the common way in the Gospel of John that Jesus begins one of these statements. Truly, truly, I say to you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born and this is the Greek word, it's translated often again, but many of your translations will have a footnote at this point. The Greek word is anathen, anathen, and it, it can mean, it's an ambiguous word, and I think it's intentionally ambiguous here. Uh, it can mean in Greek, again, like mm-hmm. we have it translated often in our translations, or it can mean from above. And of the times that it's used in the New Testament, most times that it's used, it's used from above. Um, one of the examples is when the cur- curtain of the temple was torn in two, it says it was torn from above. Uh, later in the Gospel of John, when it talks about the, the robe that they cast lots for because it was all one piece, literally it says it was woven uh, throughout from above. In other words, top to bottom, it was one piece is, is kind of the idea. This word normally... In fact, I think every other account where this where this word anathen is used, it means from above. Okay, but it, so it's intentionally ambiguous. I think uh, Jesus is intending it as a, from above is what I'm going to suggest to you in just a moment. You're going to see, but Nicodemus misunderstands it. Now, before we go there, I want to I want to talk about one other thing before we start talking about misunderstandings, and that is this word kingdom of God. Okay, mm-hmm. kingdom of God. What would you say is it is it used pretty frequently in in the Gospels? Pretty important concept. Yes, <laughs> I feel I, I feel Not like a I'm, trick question. I'm being baited. Yes, it's used something like 120. No, I'm not counting, but 123 times more or less in in the Gospels. We find the idea of kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven used very frequent. Think, give me some examples. Now, this is this is this is the pop quiz. Give me some examples where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. What does he say about it? Uh, well, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, this is this is what it's like. This is what the, the kingdom, kingdom of, of God is like. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> Brian. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a man who who went and bought a found a found a treasure hidden in a field and went and mm-hmm. sold everything he had. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of the, parables. Yeah. A lot of parables. The, the 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 nature of the kingdom is like this. Uh, he, you know, he'll he'll use illustrations and examples of you know to explain this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's it's used a hundred and twenty three times. That's a lot. That's a lot of times. That's a lot of times. In the Gospel of John, the word kingdom is used four times, okay? So those 120, most of them are in the synoptics. synoptics, And and these four uses, two of them here in this context, twice the word is used in in John chapter three. Hmm. And then I'll show you the other one in just a minute. And then it's used twice in John chapter 18 uh, when Jesus is talking to Pilate and he says, um, you know, uh, you know, 
my kingdom is from another place. Right. And, and they start that discussion. So three times or four times it's used. And, and so it's here, here it's, I can tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born Anathan. Now this leads us to a misunderstanding. And, and so look, go ahead and look at, at read um, verse four for me because Nicodemus misunderstands what Jesus is saying here. I'm going to argue. Yeah. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now again, Anathan can be understood as again. Nicodemus uses the word here for second, right? How can you, and he's thinking physical birth. How can you physically be born a second time is his question. So misunderstandings, we've talked about a long time ago. We had an episode where we looked at the book Symbolism in the Fourth Gospel. This was the first place that I really thought about this. And I think Kester does a really great job of this if you want to read uh, a book that deals with this in more detail. But Kester's Symbolism in the Fourth Gospel. But this idea of misunderstandings in the Gospel of John happen pretty frequently. And they have a very specific purpose. Um, I'll give you another example. In, In the temple, uh, this is back in the end of chapter two, just as an example of this. Jesus says, um, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Right. And they, res- you remember how they respond? How, yeah, how can a man, like, it's impossible. Right. It's taken us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to mm-hmm. rebuild it in three days. And, and and then John, or the narrator, adds this little little statement. John is the narrator, I think, mm-hmm. but, you know, again, literally. I, the temple I, he was speaking of. Was his body. body. He introduces this little statement. So they misunderstand. And here's how the misunderstanding typically takes place, is there's a misunderstanding of the physical for the spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, later, John chapter six, the the crowds are there. We'll give them something to eat. Well, you know, we, we don't have enough money to to buy them this kind of food, right? Mm-hmm. And then he talks about being the bread from heaven. Misunderstandings in the Gospel of John allow the reader, or the person who's encountering these these truths, to be taken to a deeper level of understanding about either the identity of Jesus or what it means to be a follower of His. So here, the question is. Um, how can I enter the kingdom of heaven? It's probably the or kingdom of God is the is the unasked question. Jesus answers, you have to be born Anathan. He understands that physically born, he thinks about physical birth. How can I be born for my mother a second time? Can't happen. It's impossible. And, and Jesus then responds in this way. So, so verses five and six, I'll, I'll come back and let you read some of this in a minute, but just let me read this first part. Okay. Jesus answered. So again, the question is, second, how can you enter second time into your mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Okay. So. I, I think what he's saying here, this idea of being born from the spirit, I think is being born above. You're talking about a second time. Now, water birth here, and, and again, some people will say that this being born of water and spirit is a reference to baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, previous episode, we've talked about this idea, right. the connection between uh, the day of Pentecost, for example, you have, um, you, what shall we do? Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy, Holy spirit. spirit. So there's a connection somehow between this idea of, of water and spirit. And, and so some people have taken this passage uh, to, to be a reference to this. And, and I'm fine with that. I don't think that's the primary focus. I mean, I can understand why you'd, you'd do that, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But but I think what Jesus is doing is correcting this misunderstanding. 
Okay, first time you're born, you're born of water. And here's we it's your daughter's birthday today, right? And it we, is. We were talking about this. We were just talking about your experience with birth. Oh my god! <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was not no. Well, I, my wife's experience of birth okay. was much worse than mine. Well, that's not what you said earlier. You said. Well, <laughs> You're talking about how exhausted you were. I was, it was at 24 <laughs> hours. And I, I've got to say, referencing memes, there was a, a meme recently I saw that was like the worst part of uh, a father's the, the pregnancy for a father. And it was the chair recliner chair that they put in the hospital rooms <laughs> that you have to like sleep on. But anyway, it was a terrible. Yeah, it was hard on bad. Lauren. That's bad. I didn't sleep. I was. Yes. Anyway. But, but when we think about birth, water's connected to that. The idea. And we, we even use this phrase, the water broke. Right. And yeah. there's this idea of, of a, a gush of water that accompanies birth. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think what I think and I'm going to show you again. I think Jesus goes on and says this again. But I think he's saying, you know, Nicodemus, you're thinking about physical birth. But I'm saying if you want to enter the kingdom of God, not only do you have to be born physically, physically. but you have to also be born from above, spiritually. spiritually. You have yeah. to be born of water and of the spirit. I, I think so that's good. <laughs> well, I just we just shove it together. I, I think I so. I mean, I, I think so. I, I'm just yeah. letting it out here. Like I put it together there, you know, like yeah. born of water and spirit is like one thing. And again, I understand that that's very possible. Uh, you know, that's that's one possible way to understand. I don't think, again, understanding the way that Jesus uses these kind of misunderstandings in other places in the Gospels and this tip. This tendency for those who encounter Jesus to to mistake the physical for the and it's natural when you think about birth. What do you, you know? You think about physical birth, mm-hmm. but Jesus here is trying to take us to a different level of understanding of what it means to be a part of God's kingdom, and it has to do with spiritual birth. I think. Yeah. I think and I'm, that's and I'm looking on. at verse six here, and it's like, yeah. Yep. Well, go ahead and read. Go ahead yeah. and read verses five so, and six. Okay, so, so I'm going to read five, and uh, so Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. And the spirit, and this is verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So how do you understand that then? So the born of water is flesh giving birth to flesh, and then the spirit is spirit gives birth to spirit. If you're going to be enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born spiritually, and that can happen only by the spirit, by the spirit of God is what I would say, gives spirit to birth. There's a birth birth. physically Mm -hmm. and a birth spiritually. Your mom gave birth to you spiritually, or (laughs) physically. Mm -hmm. Nope. (laughs) The spirit gave birth to you. Uh, spiritually so that's that's what i think he's getting at so i think again like you just suggested six is a natural progression from what jesus says in five he sets it up in five and just kind of expands on it in six that's the way i would understand this yeah which which answers nicodemus's question in in verse four his misunderstanding takes us to this deeper level of understanding so go ahead and read verses seven and eight then as well you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it, where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, the interesting thing here, the word wind here is pneuma, which is the same word that's used for spirit. And so mm-hmm. Jesus here, again, I think is giving us a physical illustration, the idea the wind blows where it wills. You shouldn't be surprised that I'm talking about the fact that you need to be born Anathan, again, maybe from above. You shouldn't be surprised. I'm telling you, you need to be born again slash from above because just like the wind blows where its wills. Now, now here's the interesting thing. It says, it, says um, uh, it blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it is. It, here's the, the difficulty with the spiritual realities and, and why misunderstandings like this are, are, are very natural, I suppose we would say, are very 
understandable. Uh, misunderstandings are understandable, if that makes sense. But uh, we see the, the physical, right? We see the natural material world around us. Mm-hmm. But we often miss the the invisible, <laughs> right? The, but the spiritual. I actually preached a whole sermon about this once upon a time. And it, it's amazing the number of times, when you really start to pay attention to this, it, it's amazing the number of times in the New Testament particularly, but but all out all throughout Scripture, that it talks about the most important things being the unseen. Paul is is big for this. He'll say, "Fix your eyes not on what is seen, right, mm-hmm. but what is unseen." Uh, this is one of the, the the commands that Jesus or Paul gives in the in the in the letters. Um, he he talks about um, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Right, he's the seen part of the invisible. Uh, th- there's this idea that what is unseen is is often of greater value and and more important to us in, in terms of our eternal life. Um, you know, he talks about the light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. So, so the things that we tend to focus on are the things right in front of our face, and, and that's one of the difficulties. Um, I think that we have as Christians, we have this tendency to to be um, uh, distracted by the material uh, when what is most important are often those things that are unseen, uh, the spiritual realities within us. Um, and so here's the idea again. It's not physical birth, Nicodemus. It's it's spiritual birth. You have to be born uh, from above. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound. In other words, the, the, there are effects that we can see of the of the spirit. Pneuma, again, panuma here means wind and spirit. And so he's kind of doing a play on words here to say in the same way that the panuma moves and we hear it, but we don't see it. It's the same with the spirit, the, the mm-hmm. spirit of God. Um in day of Pentecost, we talked about in our last um, in our last episode, one of the signs of the coming of the Spirit was this rushing, mighty wind. In other words, they heard right <laughs> the the Spirit. Right, they heard mm-hmm. the sound of the Spirit, and, and and you know before they could see the effects. Now there, you also have the tongues of fire, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's that kind of an idea. One other thing I didn't mention. Well, well, so what does it mean with so it is with everyone born of the Spirit? Like, where, where is he going with this? I mean, what do you see this as like, what's Jesus trying to communicate? What's with? the first question? The first question or the unasked question, right, is how does one become a resident of the kingdom of God? Or how does one, you know, kingdom of God, the phrase kingdom of God is rare in the Old Testament, but the concept is there. And it's mm-hmm. the idea that God is the king, mm-hmm. right? Um that that and again it's it's a spiritual kingdom right it's not a it's not a physical kingdom but but God is the king uh, and I'm thinking here about Daniel where there's this promise or even First Samuel chapter chapter seven where where the the, the prophet Nathan promises David there's going to come a time where God is going to establish an eternal kingdom okay it's not going to be like the kingdom of of Israel it's going to be an eternal kingdom never going to fail. And one of your descendants, David, is going to be the eternal king. And so that's what this is pointing towards. So what the Jewish people were wanting to know in this day, again, a Pharisee, they didn't like the fact that the Romans were 
were in power over them. That's that's kind of their immediate thought, physical <laughs> reality right. again, right? Right. We we want to establish the kingdom of God, just like just like the Maccabees did, just like Judas Maccabeus was able to do when they threw off the uh, um, the the uh, Syrians, the, mm-hmm. the Syrian threat. Uh, so so just in the same way that they were able to to gain us independence that's what we're looking for again right how, how does one become a part of this kingdom of god and, and jesus is saying it's not a physical reality it's being born from above it's being born by mm-hmm. the spirit so the kingdom of god and and here i'm, I'm kind of semi quoting i'm i'm alluding to um uh, you know, a Christian writer on, on spirituality here, the, the kingdom of God is a movement of the spirit within the human heart, right? It, 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 it's what's, it, it's God working in us. And of course, Paul promises us and tells us that, that when we have the spirit of Christ within us, living within us, then even though our physical bodies are dead, yet we continue to be made alive. Right. So, that's what I think he's getting at. Everyone who is born of the Spirit is a, is a part of this promise of, of what God is doing in the world. Okay. That's the way I would say it. Does that make sense or not? Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, <laughs> it, it, right. I, I just think uh, you, know, you don't know where or, or where it is going. So it is with everyone in the Spirit. So I'm just kind of going like, I'm just trying to the where, where it is sure. going piece is the piece that... I'm kind of stuck on there. What, with What I was getting ready to say might help with this. And and what I was getting ready to say before you asked me that question is, um, when we, we've, I've talked about these encounters with Jesus, and, and I've talked before, one of the other differences that we see with the synoptics and the Gospel of John is the synoptics like sermons, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Not Mark so much, but Matthew and Luke both have these, you know, if you're flipping through and you've got a red letter edition, you get to these chapters in the middle of the Matthew and Luke that are just pages and pages of red. Mm-hmm. Jesus is given a sermon. Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew, we call it Sermon on the Plain in Luke. You get toward the end of the book, and there's these Olivet discourses, they call them. Right. But they're mostly red, right? Yes. There are these long statements of Jesus teaching his parables are these long. Luke even has this sermon in parables, we call it sometimes. You know, chapter after chapter of Jesus giving these parables and kind of tying them together and talking about these things. Um, John have these dialogues where, again, if you're looking at a red letter edition, there's there's a chunk of red, there's a black, there's a chunk of red, then there's a black question, and, and so that seems to be the preferred form. Now, Nicodemus says, "Here's where I was going to go with this." is a little bit different because, like I said, he answers an unasked question, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get Nicodemus is going to ask one more question, and then Nicodemus kind of disappears. <laughs> it's like, oh, what happened to Nicodemus? We get him at the end of the book, at the end of the right. book. Yeah. And so it gives us an indication that he is at that point ready to accept his role as a disciple. But but he, he we don't have, like for the woman at the well... There's a really great ending, right, where she goes back into the town. And tells everybody. And it, it's, it's a thing the disciples should do. If you're excited about this one who's the Messiah, you go and you tell everybody, and he's, come meet this man who's told me everything I've ever everybody done. Everybody comes out. And, and they all come, and they and they even, it's a great line. They say, we believed in you because of your testimony, but now we see for ourselves after they go and talk to Jesus themselves. So so it, it's um you know, it's it's an interesting. We we get a great ending there. 
Nicodemus, not so much. In fact, go ahead. I'll read verse nine. I'll I'll take this this line. Here's Nicodemus. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. How can it be? You know, that's that's his line. So again, we know you're this teacher come from God. That's how he starts. Doesn't ask a question. Jesus says, here's how you enter the kingdom of heaven. How is that possible? Right. And, And so here's. Jesus says in response to this, you're Israel's teacher and you're not understanding these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak, there's that we, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, and here it says you people, it's literally you, you all, all y'all. The reason this is that problem we have in the English language where we use the second person singular and plural we use the very same word so you can't differentiate whereas most languages that make sense you can differentiate between the singular and the plural and the second person yes for us it's you we used to back in the king james day they used to have but we don't like the ye and the thou so mm-hmm. you know whatever anyway you and thou but yeah, ye and ye and thee but um very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we've seen, but still, all y'all do not accept our testimony. So, so he's he's going to talk about this fact that you should be able to understand these things, and, and I'm telling you about the things that I know. Now, why does he know? Because he is the one. Again, very beginning of the Gospel of John, he is the one who's come into the world as the light. He's going to get back to this at the end of this discourse. Um, he is the light who's come into the world, and the darkness has not grasped it, not understood it, not overpowered him. He, he's the light that has come into the world. He's the revelation. He, he's the eternal word that that is now uh, taken on flesh and living among us. And we have, um, John says, plural, we have beheld, we've seen his glory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what he's saying is you, you, you've got to get beyond, Nicodemus, you're Israel's teacher, you should know these things. You, you need to get beyond the physical to the spiritual, if you're going to understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll go ahead and read the rest of this, I guess. Uh, truly, truly, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. And that's what testimony is, right? To see, to mm-hmm. understand, and then to speak the truth. We've, we've mm-hmm. talked about testimony before. There's another episode on that if you want to look at it. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Like if you can't even understand the uh, basics, right? When I'm talking about the, you know, the spirit is like the wind that moves where it wills. You know, mm-hmm. how can that? How can that be? If you can't understand this, how are you going to understand when I really start to talk to you about, you know, to level two hundred one kind of stuff, right? <laughs> right. Um, you got to pass one hundred one before you can get to two hundred one. Uh, I've spoken to you of earthly things you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven. And this is what I'm saying, except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Son of man is Jesus' favorite um, way to refer to himself. Um, Most commonly, both in the synoptics and the gospel of John, most common way to to refer to himself. There's two different ways to understand it. Some people think son of man is just a self-referential, just just the way anybody could say, oh, the son of man, me. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's this character, I mentioned Daniel earlier, uh, and we find in, in, in Daniel 10, uh, I think it is I'm kind of doubting myself all of a sudden, but anyway, nine or 10, someplace, yeah. someplace in the book of Daniel, <laughs> I'll be like the gospel writers as Daniel once said, um, 
the son of man is this is this character that we see who's given divine authority and it has to do with this idea of the kingdom of God, right? He's mm-hmm. given authority to rule, right? Uh, given all authority by the ancient of days, and, and so this idea that the son of man has come from heaven. Uh, one of the there's a famous book uh, written by a Johannian scholar several years ago called the ascending and descending son of man in the gospel of John. And so here's the idea. The son of man has descended and then he, he ascends again. So he's come down from heaven. And, and so he is the one who's had access to these things. John chapter one, he is in the side of the father. There's no more intimacy than, than he's within the very side of the father. And now he has revealed to us the truth. Who else has access Right? Who else is able to tell us the truths of the heavenly things other than the one who's who's uh, come from there? He's the guide. He's the one who's who can give us these things. So he's come from heaven, the Son of Man, and then verse fourteen says this very interesting thing. So, so to this point, it's kind of uncontroversial that that Jesus. And again, if you're looking at red letter edition, this will all be red letter to this point. But there's an interesting thing that happens here where the words of Jesus at some point seem to become the words of the narrator. And it's unclear exactly where that is. Okay, mm-hmm. But we find this very interesting story in verse 14, allusion to, to a story that takes place in the book of Numbers. And it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Now, this is a, this is a physical thing <laughs> thing right he lifted up this bronze it's a bronze snake he lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be this is kind of an ambiguous term as well he must be lifted up okay hmm. that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him or everyone who believes in him may have eternal life would be another way to understand this but so just like Moses, do you remember the story? It's yep. numbers is a 14 or 15. So um, I don't have that memory. So they're yeah. grumbling against they're grumbling against um uh, God. God. They're versus. in the wilderness. Yeah, and they're they're saying, you know, what well, you've brought us out here to die, blah blah blah. They're normal Israelite <laughs> they're kind normal, of thing. Yeah. And, and and so God sends this time fiery serpents that are that are stinging them or, or biting them. They're they're killing. the venom is killing them. And so they they plead to God, and so he has Moses fashion this bronze snake and lift it up and saying, Everybody who looks to it then will will not die. Mm-hmm. And, and this becomes a type is a way we could say it or an example. Jesus here accepts it, takes it up as the way Jesus needs to be lifted up. Now, later it's interesting. And this is kind of a side. There's no no extra charge for this. But um, later they, they give this thing a name. They call it Nehushtan, and they start to worship it. And, and it ends mm-hmm. up in one of the reforms of the later kings, maybe Hezekiah. I can't remember which one. Maybe Jay, yeah, I don't remember one of the kings. And then has it destroyed. Breaks it up because the people started to worship the thing. But but Jesus says in the same way, I must be lifted up. Now, the same way that Anathan is ambiguous, so is this idea of lifting up in the Gospel of John. Uh, ultimately, we learn later, and I think it's chapter 12, to be lifted up means to be lifted up from the earth on the cross. Hmm. The interesting thing is that's also the time of his glorification, because we use that term, lifted up. We, we sing yeah. songs about lifting yeah. up your name, right? Yes. And there's this ambiguity in John. Jesus' glorification is the time of his crucifixion, okay? And that's John is very clear in that later on. He, he makes this very clear. So it is, it is going to be us looking to the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, to his, his 
sacrifice on our behalf to his his atoning death mm-hmm. it's going to be us looking to him that's going to give us salvation that that's going to save us from death that's going to give us life in the same way that the Israelites looked to the bronze serpent and it gave them life. life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the example that's being used here. That those who believe in him uh, will have eternal life. Questions to this point? Uh, n- no. No, I mean, I feel like I'm Nicodemus since I couldn't understand it, <laughs> the previous section. Well, if you can't understand this, you can't handle this spiritual stuff. Right. Um, no, I... I um, but I think that switch in the voice is yeah. really interesting there. Yeah. Uh, to that thirteen to fourteen, where Jesus is speaking yeah. into the narrator, you sure. know, maybe John giving yeah. us an idea what what was happening there. Now, some people even want the red letters to continue into this next verse because this next verse is pretty famous. This is mm-hmm. John chapter three sixteen. Uh, if you've ever seen a football game, you may know this verse or at least this reference. Um, but. Go ahead and read John three sixteen yeah. and 17 for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So, pretty famous. God loved the world, cosmos. Now, the word, the word cosmos in, in the Gospel of John kind of tends to change meaning through time here god loves the cosmos later and that's the word that's the word world here later the cosmos becomes kind of an enemy the evil Uh, by the time you get to the to the upper room discourse jesus is talking about i'm going to leave you in the cosmos but you're not to be of Of the the cosmos cosmos. um that, that that there's this kind of separation and there's this this ministry that needs to take place to the cosmos right to the world and so here god loves the world so that he Gave his and one and only here. Uh, we've we've talked about before, but it is it is the idea of a unique son. Uh, it, it is the um, it, it's used four times, I believe, in the New Testament, if I'm remembering correctly. Three of them are in the Gospel of John. It goes back to John one fourteen or eighteen. I can't remember. I'm assuming one fourteen is. Um, uh, yeah, the, the the glory of the one and only. So, so this word is used, and it has monogenes. Only begotten is the way that we used to translate it in the King James version. But this idea of monogenes is the one who has the unique, unique properties, the you know unique role we mm-hmm. could say in this. And so he gave his 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 one and only son. And the reason I say that is in the book of Hebrews, um, we find. Um, uh, this term being used for um, for Isaac, uh, where it's not exactly true, right? Right. Yeah. Esau was even the firstborn, but Isaac is the child of the promise. He's the monogenes. Right. He's the, he's the unique son. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So here's this idea of giving life. Uh, and in fact, the, the term here is eternal life. Eternal life, we, we haven't really talked about this before, I don't think, but eternal life, I would say, not only has to do, we often think eternal just in terms of um, time, chronology, but it also, I would say, has to, has to do with a with a quality it, it, it is you know because living forever in pain is not a good thing right mm-hmm. but eternal life is this idea that later on jesus says i've come to give you life and you may have it to the full this mm-hmm. is this is the kind of life that we were created for this was the garden kind of life of intimacy and relationship with god uh, having that kind of purpose and that's what eternal life is used very frequently in fact it's interesting to me 
Um, eternal life is used a few times in the synoptics, but eternal life almost serves the same kind of purpose that kingdom of God does in the synoptics, in the gospel of John. Eternal life is used more frequently. Remember, kingdom only right. occurs a few times. times. Eternal life occurs a few times in the synoptics, but it is used frequently in the gospel of John. It almost serves that same kind of purpose. And remember, again, the kingdom that's promised in the Old Testament First Samuel chapter seven is an eternal kingdom. This is this is this is the world the way that it was intended to be, where God is in control, where His people are under His um, authority and, and, and in, in no longer in rebellion to Him. I suppose we would say mm-hmm. it, it's that kind of life that we were created for. That that's what eternal life is. So this is the promise that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith in him, whoever trust is the word I like to use, in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now this is the word crino. And I've talked before, this word can mean judge or can mean condemn, depending on how how forcefully it's used. Um the uh, the Gospel of John uses a lot of here. I'm going. I might as well use a fancy term because I haven't so far. But uh, I guess monogenes. But uh, uh, the Gospel of John often uses juridical language. It has to do with the context of a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and, and so this idea of judging and condemning those are those are testimony. We've saw, talked about it earlier. Those are all courtroom kind of words. And, and so here's the idea that that God's purpose in Jesus is not to bring condemnation, but instead to bring salvation. That That's the reason that he was sent, not to condemn, but to save. Um, now, so who, who, who's, who's being talked to here, whether it's the narrator or whether it, it, is, um, it, it is Jesus here, he's talking to Nicodemus, right? And you always say it's important to remember who's being talked to. If you think about a Pharisaic perspective or, or a Pharisaic view toward the world, mm-hmm. right, it might be possible that it is a much more uh, condemnation, condemnatory kind of worldview, right? That, mm-hmm. that we're going to condemn those who are the outsiders. That's, you know, in our righteousness, we, we are showing what it is to truly be a son of God, right? A child of God. Um, but in a way that is, is, and we see Jesus giving examples of this in the synoptics, for example, the, the Pharisee and the publican, you know, standing and mm-hmm. the, and the Pharisee says, well, thank God I'm not like, like that sinner. Right. And the publican beats his breast and says, forgive me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Jesus says, you know, one of his great questions, he's always asking good questions. Who goes away um, forgiven? You know, who goes who, who goes away uh, with clear conscience? Uh, and, and so it's the same kind of thing. I th- I think the point here is that you know Nicodemus, you know, you need to hear this that the the purpose of the sinning of the Son of Man is not so that the world is told to go to hell, right? Instead, it is that there might be that opportunity, like Nehushtan. <laughs> before it was called that, like that bronze serpent up in the wilderness, that those who would look to him might be saved, mm-hmm. right? Um, so anyway, comments or thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, just, uh, you know, I was just thinking 
again, and in our Bibles we have that break between fifteen and sixteen, but uh-huh. like sixteen is the expounding on that whole that fourteen yeah, and fifteen. It's hard. It's it's hard to. I I don't really have a good idea of of where the narrator begins and mm-hmm. Jesus' words in. But yeah. just you know that. The, that whole thing about the the snake in the wilderness, yeah. and then sixteen is like this exposition on yeah. what we just what we just heard. Yeah. You know, it's so often it's like oh John three sixteen, and right. you know it's like did they Out put of that did they put that yeah. break in there just to right. you know I don't know, but kind of going like how that whole section just sure. flows together yeah. and thinking about you know that the narrator or Jesus is expounding upon the thing of the Son of Man must be lifted up right and like. How he how that's fleshed out yeah. then, and like what what does the lifting up look yeah. like, and that he's what what his purpose is? Yeah, very well said. It 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 again. I'll go back to just just to make this a little bit of a, a teaching time about you know we we like to not only say here's what you should think, but here's here's how we think about these things. Right? We talk all the time about the importance of the literary context, and we say the smaller the the text that you take, right? The smaller mm-hmm. section you look at, the more important the, the literary context is. John three sixteen out of context is. Not a bad passage, no. But but to understand its its how do I say this its its um, force uh, its its uh, uh, you know its its meaning force. I'm I'm locutionary force. Is what I want to say. But 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 to to understand its meaning, we have to understand it within the context of the of the discourse. Yeah. And 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 again, even within the historical context, thinking of it in terms of Nicodemus, we don't often think of it in those terms either. Yeah. How how does this compare? How does it speak to a leader of the Jews of the uh, Pharisee party, the Pharisees? It's you know you're you're looking at only part of the river. You're not looking where the river started. Exactly. Right. Right. And 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 again, that's that's why. We we do these things. That's why we look at it in, in its context. Yeah, to understand that the language is it, it's taking us somewhere, yeah. and to see where it's going, you, you got to see where it's going. I think so. To to understand like where wh- yeah. why this bend in here, yeah. but I you know I think it's just as we've gone through this, you know, the whole thing of like Nicodemus is kind of asking a question, but not even right. at the very beginning. Right. And Jesus is like, well, I got I got something for you. Right. Like just throwing it out. <laughs> well, if you think I'm so oh, smart, you want to talk to me? Here we go. Let's try this. Tiger, see what you got, you leader of the Jews. Um, right. You know, but, you know, and it is an interesting conversation when you break it down. Yeah. You kind of go like, well, why, what, what's happening here? But right. uh, then to see John three sixteen in that context, yeah. I think is, is really great. Well, let's go ahead and finish because well, verse 18 kind of continues as well. Again, we sometimes will take 16, 17 together, but 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, right, is not mm-hmm. judged. Under judgment, we could say, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. I always say for John, the default case is that we are, uh, the default setting is that we are out of relationship with God. We are in rebellion. And, and so we're already condemned because we've not believed in the name of God's one and only son, uh, you know, the unique son again. We've not, we've not trusted in him and his name. So a name has to do with his power and his authority and all, all that he, you know, his, the weight of his being. Um, but, but, you know, the interesting thing here, again, I always say that the gospel, you know, I, I am uh, particularist is the, is the, 
is the technical term. I always like to use kind of provocative terms, but uh, the reason I'm not an inclusivist, I often say, well, I'm an exclusivist, but, but technically it means a particularist. In other words, <laughs> it, it has to do with saying that Jesus is the only means by which we are able to come to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and I'm saying it's particular, right? There's, there's right. this particular way. Uh, and it excludes other, other, other means. Other, right? other means of it, yeah. And, and the reason is because I, I'm a student of the Gospel of John, and, and it, it's the one that says there is no way to the Father except through me and, and things like this, that you're already in a condemned state. Right, that's your default state unless you begin to believe in the name of the uh, of the one and only Son of God, and so it doesn't leave much room for for this idea of an uh, of an inclusivism that there's other ways that there are other paths by which one mind even through the power of Jesus uh, that one could come to God. Right, it, right. It, it seems pretty pretty narrow that there is I am the way, <laughs> the truth, and the life. Right, and 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 again, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of why I think this. And then verse nineteen uh, again, not to spend too much time on this nineteen and twenty. This is the verdict. Okay, so again, courtroom, you know, gavel bangs, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so after all this conversation, Nic- Nicodemus, here's the verdict: mm-hmm. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The idea is that you do evil deeds at night. This is something you see in the Old Testament, right? That mm-hmm. this is the place of the time where you do things that are evil, where it can't be seen, you know, and and light brings those evil deeds to 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 um, to bear, right? It brings we use the term brings it to light, right? It it makes us be able to see what's happening. So light has come into the world. It goes all the way back to to John chapter one, and it occurs to me we need to talk about John one at some point. But John chapter one is this idea that he is the light that's come into the world, and and, and uh, you know though he's come into the world, the darkness, you know, even though he came to those who were his own, his own rejected him. Right is what it says. Uh, even though light has come into the darkness, the darkness has not grasped it. In other words, not understood in ambiguity, not not overcome it. Uh, and so here is a leader of the Jews, the very people who were promised um, that this son of man would come, this this Danielic figure would come, and and they have not accepted him. They have rejected him. Uh, and, and so this is what I think is going on. Light has come into the world. People love darkness instead of light. So where is, when did Nicodemus come? At night. At night, you know, and, and so he's not wanting people to know that he's a disciple of Jesus. And this is kind of a condemnation. You can't I think what John is teaching us through this encounter, through the narrators teaching us through this encounter, is you, you can't follow Jesus this way. You, you, you've mm-hmm. got to come out into the light because mm-hmm. that's that's who he is. So people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth, and we've talked about that before, the importance of truth. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So Nicodemus, <laughs> this is kind of a condemnation in Nicodemus. I think it is. I like, think it is. Uh, you, you wuss! You came to me at yeah, night. Yeah, and and it, and of course, then twenty two search after this, and I've talked before about the importance of those uh, temporal markers that clearly marks a new section. Again, I don't know. Is this all? So there are some versions that ha- have all this in red letters. You need to understand again the red letters. Signify words of Jesus. Well, and it's an editorial decision. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's nothing in the Greek text that says, you know, 
This is the words of Jesus. There's, Jesus you know, moves up stage stage left right, and says this. Right. So, well, that's what I've got today. Any does that leave you with any questions or comments? <laughs> That's all I got. That's it. He's he's roasted. We've roasted him yeah, for the day. Yeah. No, I think it's um, oh, it's it, it's it's really good. I mean, I think the uh, putting that all together is interesting. I just, I mean, you spent a lot, a, a large amount of time of your life studying sure. this, you know, yeah. and just to, and to see those things and the the nuance in there, yeah. what's being communicated, and um. What the true one thing I was thinking, and we can't get into it, but it makes me think about Revelation and the Book of Life and yeah. the names that that are in sure. that, and that we're condemned. You know, if if we have not accepted Christ, right, we're condemned by the Your only deeds. thing we can be our deeds mm-hmm. and things that that we've done. Yeah. And so, like, I just see this connection uh, between John here and Revelation, the end of Revelation, and the deeds done in darkness. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what it says here. You know, the deeds that are done in darkness. So, yeah, and and again, Jesus comes as the light. I think to reveal these things, to give us the opportunity. And this is again Isaiah. You know, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and that that was that promise of the birth. Um, you know, John takes it all the way back to creation, the light that we see in creation, um, that God separated the darkness from the light, and and you know that's kind of where we find ourselves then you know the i guess the practical importance of this is again to see how crucial it is that we place our trust in jesus that we trust a birth that comes from the spirit a spiritual birth uh, by which we are able to be again intimately connected to the father to, to, to God, um, to, to have this, um, what was lost in, in the fall, to have this connection again with him. Yeah. Well, this is great, Brian. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Well, we will be back in a week. And if yeah. you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to yeah. uh, share, you know, because I don't think you're going to get better John explanations <laughs> than you're going to well, get right here in the Bible. Uh, I could send you to a few places. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take the compliment. <laughs> anyway, we will be back next Tuesday with right. uh, with some more uh, some more bistro for you, and we hope you'll join us for that. Very good. Good to see you, Ryan. Yeah, good to see you, Brian. Bye. Bye.